Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the newest episode of this Going Long podcast. I'm your host, Zach Neal. We're less than 24 hours out from the early signing period in the world of college football. It should be a very entertaining time in Eugene. Uh, This comes after an already incredibly entertaining start to the week for Oregon Duck fans. Uh, Dan Lanning and his staff got off to a hot start on Monday, landing a trio of transfer commitments. They got running back Jay Harris, offensive lineman Matthew Bedford, and finally quarterback Dante Moore, the uh, the big fish that everybody wanted. I'm going to break down all three of those additions and kind of what they mean for the Ducks, what I think of the three additions. Then we're going to welcome on uh, Max Torres from Ducks Digest for the first time. He's a recruiting insider for the Ducks. So we're going to talk to him about signing day, what to expect, get his thoughts on the transfer movement for Oregon as well. Uh, we got a lot of great stuff on tap for you. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get into it. This is one of the busiest times of the year and uh, one of the more jam-packed episodes of the season. Uh, this is a week that you have to circle on the calendar if you uh, kind of work in this this college football industry. No vacations, no meetings. You kind of have to be prepared for uh, news to hit any time of day, uh, any day of the week. There are only a few days on the calendar where I you know, make a point to actually book a babysitter from sunrise to sunset um, in advance. And Wednesday is one of those days, the, uh, the first day of the early signing period. Um, it's not just a single day that the players are allowed to sign in, but that first day is definitely where most of the fireworks come. You'll see some stuff on Thursday and Friday as well, I think. But um, Wednesday is really the the biggest day. And, um, you know, it's it's not just signing day that's busy. It's been this entire week, and Oregon's proved that already. Um, if you are, you know, in tune with the news, Monday was Monday was a very big day for Oregon. Like I said, the Ducks got three transfer commitments. Um, I was told over the weekend that, you know, the while it had been quiet since the Dylan Gabriel commitment over a week ago, the the dam was about to break and there was about to be several commitments. Oregon held several uh, visits over the weekend with transfer players and, um, you know, high school prospects as well. And I was told that a lot of them went very, very well. And so, um, you know, it was expected that a day like Monday came with a lot of commitments, the biggest one being Dante Moore. Um, before we bring on Max, I just want to break down kind of these, these three players and give my thoughts. Um, I'm going to save more for last. I want to start with Jay Harris. This feels like one of those that, you know, it may have felt underwhelming right now or on Monday because the fans don't really know anything about Harris. He's a division two running back from Northwest Missouri state. It's understandable. I, you know, before I found out that Oregon was recruiting him, that he was coming on a visit, I had knew nothing about him, but, um, let me be one of the first people to tell you that this is someone that you need to know about. This kid, I think, is going to be pretty special. Um, he's six foot two, two hundred twenty pounds. He is an absolutely elite talent, very good runner of the ball. He was a D two All American in twenty twenty three, rushed for a hundred yards and a touchdown in every single game of the year. Someone that the Ducks coaching staff absolutely loves. They think he's going to be very, very good as soon as this year. Be one of the top runners on the team in twenty twenty three. 
Someone inside the program told me, I talked to him yesterday after the commitment. They told me that Harris comes in day one is probably the most talented player in that running back room. And that's a, a backfield with Jordan James and Noah Whittington and Jaden Lamar. Um, so that's, you know, don't take that lightly at all. Um, I was told by someone that he, he has the speed of Jordan James. He's got the elusiveness of Bucky Irving and the physicality of Noah Whittington, all while being far bigger than any of those players. He's, he's kind of the size of Dante Dowdell who um, was in the backfield into the transfer portal last week. So he really comes in, you know, it, I know a lot of fans and I myself, you know, someone to cover the team was a bit, you know, I guess, disappointed is the word frustrated, bummed that Dowdell was, was leaving and entering the transfer portal. Cause I think that he's got a really high upside. I think I could see him being a, a really good college football player somewhere. I hoped that would be in Eugene. I thought that um, he had a, just a high ceiling. I thought that he could do really good things at Oregon. Um, but you know, replacing him with Jay Harris, I think it's a really good move for Oregon. Um, you know, Jay Harris, he, he needs to prove a lot of what he can do and he needs to prove that he can do it at this level of football. Um, but you know, from, from what I hear from someone in the program that I trust, there's, there's really high upside with him and they're excited about what he can do. There's not a ton of film on him because he played at such a small level. He played at Northwest, um, yeah, Northwest Missouri State. See, I keep forgetting what the name is. Um, but if you have not seen him run, I encourage you to go find it. We've got some clips up on Duckswire that, um, you know, it, it's worth watching him play because I don't mean to over-exaggerate at all. Um, we need to see what he can do against D1 Power 5 competition. But, you know, watching his D2 film gave me impressions of, you know, a smaller Derrick Henry, if that's not too crazy to say. Um, you know, his size and his speed just stands out. And I know part of that's because he's playing against D2 players when he's clearly bigger and better than that. But um, I, I'm just very excited to watch this kid play. Um, I think that he's going to be someone that can be a, a big, um, you know, instant impact contributor for the Ducks in 2024. Um, you know, I'm, I'm really looking forward to spring practices in the spring game because I can't wait to see this kid play in front of D1 talent because I think he's got the size and the speed and the makeup to be something pretty special. The next commitment that Oregon got on Monday was offensive lineman Matthew Bedford um, from Indiana. This is a really versatile addition for the Ducks and one that I think can help you in many ways. He's a veteran. Um, he's very experienced. This is his final year of eligibility. He's got 28 starts in his career. He's played snaps at left tackle, left guard, right guard, right tackle. Uh, most of his experience comes at right guard, so he makes sense as a replacement for Stephen Jones in 2024. Um, Jones, who is leaving, um, graduating out of eligibility this year, six foot six, three hundred fifteen pounds, big body, really good run blocker. Um, you know his tape is filled with just a lot of pancake blocks in the running game. Needs to improve a little bit in pass protection. His PFF grades are not exactly where you want to see them, but it's you know he's someone that's got a really good build, really good makeup, and I think when you get elite coaching like Oregon has the offensive line. I think, you know, he, he's someone that could be really special for them. And he steps in as what I think is probably a, a day one starter. He's going to compete for that starting job. But, um, you know, this is the type of transfer that you try and get every year because he elevates the talent level of your offensive line. And you can plug him in wherever you need him. Um, you know, if you have an injury at the left guard spot, left tackle spot, right tackle spot, um, you can plug him in if he's not already starting somewhere. And like I said, that right guard spot is probably where I see him. That's probably where the Ducks see him. Um, 
it's also interesting to see how this this commitment connected to Oklahoma offensive line transfer Caden Green, um, someone that Oregon hosted on a visit this last weekend that they were, um, you know, I think he's the number one offensive tackle in the transfer portal right now. Uh, offensive tackle, offensive lineman. He played guard last year, but uh, apparently wants to play tackle going forward. Um, Oregon was in on him, but he ended up committing to Missouri this morning. Um, so I don't know if maybe Oregon decided they wanted Bedford instead and went with him. And so so Green went to Missouri or if Green went to Missouri and that led Oregon to say, hey, we're going to go get Bedford. Whatever it is, um, Oregon got a guy that they think is very serviceable in 2024, and they think they can help him. So um, I think this is a really good addition for that offensive line room that is returning a lot of starters next year. But, you know, this just this just makes them a little bit better and just ups their talent level going forward. Last but certainly, certainly not least is Dante Moore. He's back. Um, I wrote about this a little bit, but it's it's kind of hard to put into words how big of a win this is for Dan Lanning and the Ducks. Um, a couple of weeks ago, the quarterback room was in question. You had Bo Nix leaving. You Oregon fans still felt unsure about Ty Thompson, unsure about Austin Novosad, unsure about Luke Mogo, the three-star quarterback coming in in the 2024 class. Now, just three weeks later, not even three weeks later, you've got Oklahoma quarterback Dylan Gabriel, former Oklahoma quarterback, I should say, Dylan Gabriel leading the way as a Heisman contender in 2024. And now you've got five-star former five-star quarterback Dante Moore coming in, willing to sit for a year and develop with the idea of taking over in 2025. I just, I don't really know of a more perfect situation in the quarterback room than that. Um, You've got arguably one of the best quarterbacks in the nation leading your team. Like I said, an early Heisman contender for 2024. You've got arguably the best backup quarterback in the nation. I mean, maybe you can, you can argue that Texas with Arch Manning, yes, there's there's other schools that have really good backups behind solid starters, but you know, Moore has experience. Moore had those nine games of experience with UCLA. He knows kind of what it takes to to play at this level. He's seen the speed of the game. But you know, this also just sets up the quarterback class for years to come. You can kind of start to see the line of succession in Oregon's quarterback room. You've got Gabriel in 2024. You've got Dante Moore probably 2025 and 2026 if he stays for a second year. I mean, there's no telling that he could have an elite 2025 season and jump into the draft. He's He'd be eligible by then. But if he stays for 2025, 2026, then you probably have it turned over to Achilles Smith Jr., a four-star commit in the 2025 class, the number six QB in the class. Um, he maybe plays for the 2026, 2027, 2028. Um, you know, I, I'm getting way out in front of this uh, in the future here, but you can start to see that line of succession, which is, you know, not something that we're really used to in Oregon. I mean, this um, this is what getting off the quarterback transfer portal train looks like. This is what teams like Ohio State, Alabama, Georgia have been able to do at the QB position, which has led to continued success. I mean, we've seen, I think Ohio State's probably the best example. You know, they've got elite players like Dwayne Haskins or, um, you know, Terrell Pryor. And then they, they once those guys graduate out, they continue to plug in newer, younger players. Um, Justin Fields, someone who's, who definitely, you know, exemplifies that. Um, you know, it's just that cycle of being able to, recruit high-level passers, sell them on a redshirt year or two years to develop, and then take over as a starter. And that's just, you know, we've seen that, you know, Oregon has kind of been in this transfer portal market year after year at the quarterback position. Obviously, they weren't the last year because Bo Nix decided to return. But, 
Um, this kind of a- allows them to get away from that. Obviously, we need to see Dante Moore reach that high ceiling, but he was the number three quarterback in the 2023 class. He obviously is one of the best young quarterbacks in the nation. He's got that elite upside, and the Ducks got him, and they they now have him in a, a perfect situation where he's willing to come in, wait his time, learn, develop with great quarterbacks and a great offense, and then take over after next year. So. Um, I, I just can't state enough how perfect of a situation this is. And I think this is a, a massive, massive win for Oregon in the transfer portal market. All right, let's take a quick break and then bring in Max Torres and talk about signing day. Max Torres here with me, recruiting insider for Ducks Digest, someone who is very in tune with what's going on this time of year. Max, how are you doing? I'm great, Zach. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Obviously, this is one of the the biggest times of the year. Signing day, transfer portal, bowl season, coaching's carousel. There's a ton to talk about. Before we get into high school recruits, I just want to touch on the transfers. Oregon has brought in four so far, three of which came yesterday. Um, Which addition do you think has impressed you the most so far? Um... I think the Dante Moore one is is easily the biggest, right? It it kind of has the most uh, hype around it, the most anticipation from the fan base. I think just the fact that they were able to get two top notch quarterbacks in the transfer portal and potentially even kind of get ahead of the curve for next year, um, I think that is a tremendous win for the coaching staff. Uh, to get him on board and get that first visit was obviously huge. But the the Jay Harris edition is one that really is is interesting to me as well. Um, I don't think it's necessarily related to the Dowdell transfer. Uh, I think I've been seeing some rumblings about that on, on social media, but I don't think they're necessarily related. I think that Carlos Lachlan has an amazing eye for talent, and I think that he he's going to bring some depth to that room next year because even though Oregon was really good on the ground this year with two backs, they could be even better next year with three. Yeah. I want to get to Jay Harris in a second. Cause I really want to talk to you. I I'm incredibly high on this kid. I, I like what I've seen and what I've heard. I want to talk to you about him, but more on, on Dante Moore. Um, that was kind of my, I think that just the combination of Moore and Dylan Gabriel, if you put those as a one-two punch, that's easily obviously the biggest win for Oregon this offseason. The fact that I already talked about this in my intro a little bit, but the fact that they can kind of set themselves up for the future, like you said, and get out of that quarterback transfer portal market and like that train going forward, you can kind of see the line of succession now from Gabriel to Moore to potentially Achilles Smith and on and on and on. So it kind of gives them the ability to, to develop instead of getting in that transfer portal uh, quarterback market year after year. I completely agree. And I think that that's, uh, I think a, a notable hesitation maybe is the right word with Oregon fans is like, okay, Oh, we're we going back to the portal again um, on, on a position that has really come become so year to year. Um, if, if you just look at not even just Oregon, but across the country, it is so rare Zach to have a quarterback on your roster for more than two years um, mm-hmm. because of the transfer portal. And because um, not everyone's going to be like Ty Thompson and, and stick around for as long mm-hmm. as he did. Um, that was another big uh, development, obviously, in the quarterback room for Oregon. So I, I love the move of getting Dante Moore. I think it helps you bring some stability to the craziest position in college football, we could say. And the the story, I don't think you could draw it up any better. Being a former commit and then coming back, I think a lot of people got rubbed the wrong way, even though I think he really just left because of the the Kenny Dillingham departure. But at the end of the day, you got another stud quarterback in the, in the waiting and I'm super stoked to be able to cover him because I got to see him in San Antonio at the all American bowl. 
but that was after he had already flipped to to UCLA. So I was just watching him make play after play, just phenomenal thrower. And he, I was just bummed that I wasn't going to be able to write about him. But hey, here we are. Now I can. Yeah, I feel I was thinking about that last night after the commit got announced that like I just remember watching him in that American Bowl on the All American Bowl and just being like, ah man, that would be nice. That would be really fun to be having that come to Eugene. And now it's like, oh, you can you can feel that way. And you've seen that on social media with a bunch of Duck fans being like, okay, yes, we're back finally. So um, yeah, like you said, it kind of feels like the the elite teams in the nation, the Ohio States, the Georgias, the Alabamas. They've got these you know young prospects that are learning and redshirting and growing under, you know, established quarterbacks who are going to go off to the NFL. And it feels like Oregon's kind of getting in that train right now. Yeah. Um, let's, let's talk about Jay Harris credit to you. You had the story when he committed with the quotes about what he liked about Oregon. Um, I talked to my intro about him. I'm super excited about this kid. I had, you know, I talked to a couple people in the program about him and they, they've absolutely raved about him. His, you know, they said, I had one person tell me he had the speed of Jordan James, the elusiveness of Bucky Irving and the size of Dante Dowdell. Um, I think that ultimately he can be, kind of one of those Bucky Irving, Royce Freeman, LaMichael James tier running backs at Oregon. I know that's that's getting way ahead of myself. That's pretty outlandish to say about a former D2 running back who we have not seen play at the Power 5 level, but I think the upside is there. You know the kid a little bit more. You've talked to him. What have you seen? What have you heard from him that kind of gives you encouragement going forward? Yeah, I think one thing that kind of comes to mind right away is is how throughout the season we hear about how I think Dan Landing talked about how the running backs take on the personality of their coach of Carlos Lachlan and with, with the whole mentality and mindset of nothing being given I think Jay Harris very much fits that mold uh, he was talking about how he um, you know kind of his story and his rise to to get to this point you know saying that um kind of paraphrasing here a little bit, but maybe the, the D2 route wasn't the, the route he wanted to necessarily go, but but he put in his time and he just mm-hmm. kept his head down and, and kept working and the opportunities came. And I think he's just a refreshing example of how in today's era of the portal and um, you know NIL and so many different things, if you're good, you're going to get attention. You know, they'll, mm-hmm. they'll come find you. And, um, you know, leave it to Carlos Lachlan, who's been a phenomenal developer and identifier, which is mm-hmm. equally as important, perhaps even more important, because you're not going to get to work with a guy if you can't identify him early on. So big tip of the cap to Carlos Lachlan um, for identifying Jay Harris. And I think just his his combination of size and speed is, is obviously what really, I think, makes him look intriguing. Um, just the way that he moves for 6'2 and 220. I feel like anytime I talk about, oh, look at how he moves for his size, it seems like just a cliche, but mm-hmm. it, it really does feel like it rings true here with Jay Harris. Maybe not the best competition. Obviously, I think we can all acknowledge that, but um, I think it says a whole lot about the the staff's confidence in him that he'll be able to make that leap and then he'll have great backs that are pushing him along the way. That was another thing he talked about with me, just about you know Noah being able to push him and Jordan James being able to push him and at the end of the day, Zach, it's it's the rich getting richer. The the running back has mm-hmm. never been a position that has lacked talent in Oregon, and that certainly won't be the case. Uh, or it will be the case that they won't be lacking talent in, <laughs> yeah. in 2024. 
Yeah, and I I've found myself routinely having to like kind of pull myself back down to earth when it comes to Jay Harris because, like you said, you have to take it all with a grain of salt when watching his highlights and stuff because he is playing at a D two level. This six two two hundred two hundred twenty pound back, like yeah, he looks like a college player playing against high school students. But you know, looking at his style and his you know mobility, he reminds me. I said this earlier in the podcast. I dare to say he reminds me of like a younger Derrick Henry. That's what he looks like when running against these two, two, sure. two kids. So I can't wait to see him in spring against, you know, Oregon's defense. Um, I said this yesterday. I feel like, you know, he he's kind of that Bucky Irving example where, you know, most Oregon fans didn't know who Bucky Irving was when Carlos Lachlan brought him to from Minnesota. This is that, that same way that nobody knew who Jay Harris was before it came out that Oregon was even recruiting him. And now once they kind of learn about him, I think they're really just going to fall in love with him so much more. Because like you said, I've heard a little bit about that, um, you know, his upbringing, his backstory. And that's just once fans kind of like find out who he is and someone tells that story, uh, he's a very endearing kid. I think that he's got a really, really bright future in Eugene. Yeah, I love the way that he en- ended the interview. Just I kind of like to be like, hey, you know, handing the mic to you. Anything else you want to say is like, you know, they're they're they don't know about me, but they're going to know about me. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think that speaks to his confidence, obviously. And um, uh, what was the other point I was going to make? Oh, yeah. Like to, to your point about Bucky, I think that that kind of mindset of not knowing who that was and then look at how well it turned out. I would almost say that applies even more so to to Noah Whittington, who came over from Western Kentucky with Carlos Lockton. Like that was, you think of Western Kentucky, you think of an air raid. I think they were setting all these records through the passing game. And then when the Ducks get him, we're like, well, what's going to happen with this running back from a pass-heavy offense? And he has just been a stud for the Ducks. And we should probably mention that he hasn't officially announced that he's coming back, but True. I feel like that's kind of the way the 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 yeah. direction it looks like it's going and it's mm-hmm. not really far-fetched because he only got to play four games but he, yep. he is a guy that a lot of uh, <laughs> a lot of people are really really interested in I was I was told by some people around the program that when they're coming around the scouts and everything looking at Bucky they're they're asking some questions about Noah too so he's gonna be a stud yeah as this should be all right let's move on to signing day um, Duck fans know very well by now that fireworks could be coming we saw it last year with Peyton Bowen Mateo Uyunglele Dalen Austin, Jaden Lamar, all of those commits coming on signing day. I know there's a couple of names out there, uh, potential commits, potential flips. Do you think that we see some fireworks of any sort tomorrow in Eugene? Sure, sure. I think that there's there's a certainly a potential for some from fireworks uh, with with the Ducks on signing day. Um, if, if last year taught us anything, it's that you got to be ready for anything and everything. Um, yeah. Just you know, seeing the Ducks close the way they did. Um, with, with Mateo last year, I think that they obviously did a tremendous job there. And I think that there's something that's worth mentioning is that they seem like they just have a lot of continuity right now. Like just the, the opportunities that people have had to, you know, maybe move on to, to other programs and they've chose, chosen to, to stay in Eugene because they believe that much in what Dan Landing is building. And you see the special talent that they're attracting being able to have quarterbacks like Dante Moore and Dylan Gabriel in the fold, like that's going to help sell the program to mm-hmm. other recruits, whether it be wide receivers or an offensive lineman or a running back, you know, whatever it is. I think that they have laid the foundation. They had a great season. Obviously it didn't end the way they wanted to, but I think that that's only going to make them put the pedal to the metal that much harder mm-hmm. because talent acquisition is the name of the game. I think one of the interesting developments in recent uh, 
the recent days or weeks. Uh, maybe people aren't thinking about it too much now, but Jaquan Shaq McCroy out of Alabama, the offensive lineman, he took that visit out to Colorado, and then they went on a tear and landed a bunch of offensive linemen to protect Shadour next year, and McCroy wasn't one of those commits. So it feels like, based on what I'm hearing, that he's probably going to end up signing with the Ducks. Uh, the Ducks also got in on the fun uh, taking a Colorado commit uh, mm-hmm. on Monday morning with with Matthew Bedford coming over from Indiana after previously committing to Colorado. Um, but I think the Ducks still want some reinforcements with some pass catchers. Um, I know that one of those semi-recent developments was with Gatlin Bear. I think he's probably going to be leaning towards signing in February. Um, I, I spoke with his coach a bit, and it seemed like that one's pretty much down to Michigan and, and Oregon. I feel like I still give the edge to to Michigan in that recruitment, but there is some time if he doesn't end up indeed signing during the early signing period. But keep an eye on the pass catchers for Oregon as far as uh, maybe some potential fireworks go. And mm-hmm. then, I mean, getting all these guys on campus early and enrolled, like, I don't think that's super, super valuable. It's massive. Yeah. One, one quick thing on Gatlin bear. Do you have any idea Have you heard anything about, you know, he's projected to probably take this to your mission. Um, do you know, I know there's been some rumblings about, Oh, he maybe will sign right away and, and, and enroll right away instead of taking the mission. Have you heard anything on that front? Um, I talked to his coach last month and I haven't heard anything about, are you saying like deferring the trip? Basically, correct. That's what I just I read some of that on on message board and oh, seen it okay. on Twitter. So I don't know. I, maybe you'd heard anything. I don't know. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I hadn't heard anything specifically on that. I mean, when I spoke with his coach, he was telling me that he already got his mission assignment. And he's going to Dallas. Okay. Um. So, and you know, he talked about how his his faith is super important to him. So it would definitely shock me if, if that were to be the case. Um, but in today's age of football and recruiting, you, know, you can never yeah. rule anything out, but I, I don't, true. I wouldn't expect that to be the case based on what I've heard. So let's focus on the offensive side of the ball for the ducks, 2024 class. Who was the most kind of intriguing commit on that side of the ball? The guy that you see with the highest ceiling, who is that for you? Ooh, definitely putting me on the spot. That one's Yeah. I'm, I'm going to do it with the defensive side too. So get ready I for fig- that one. <laughs> I figured, I figured, um, I think, I think one that's really, really interesting um, to me is Luke Moga. I feel like he has been a, a big riser in this class, and I've had the chance to go out to Arizona and see him in person, which was really cool. Um, you know, definitely, I would say, I don't know if raw is quite the right word, but newer to the position. Mm-hmm. Um, his junior season was his first full season as the starting quarterback over there at Sunny Slope, but just talk about a guy that that puts his team on his back, like literally just the face of that team and just wills them to a comeback. I know that when Dan Lanny went out to see him, he pulled off a crazy comeback and had some really big highlights. I think he really fits the the, the Will Stein style of offense. Mm-hmm. And um, when I interviewed him, he said that the staff kind of told him that they that they were reminded of Bo Nix, which is obviously a very lofty comp. Um, <laughs> but the, the quarterback position is a really, really interesting one. And I think that Moga is is kind of late to the party as far as getting that recognition that he deserves. Um, but he is probably that guy that I feel like has a really, really high ceiling in this class um, because that staff thinks he's special for sure. And, and I think they kind of feel like they have a diamond in the rough there. Yeah, I'm really glad you said him. I was going to say him if you didn't because he's 
I'm very excited to cover this kid, not even just the player. I'm excited to like be able to talk to this kid because he's said and done all of the right things since committing to Oregon, Com- like continually saying like, I'm locked in. I want to compete with the best iron sharpens iron. He, I think he tweeted that out last night when Dante Moore committed, like he knows that he's coming into a quarterback room that has very talented players and he's going to have to earn his position and his playing time. So um, I think he's yeah a very intriguing player. Um, what about the defensive side of the ball? This is a, a much bigger, you know, group to choose from. So I'm curious what you've got to say here. Yeah. Oh man, this is a, this is a tough one. Um, I'm trying to stall a little bit while I look through the list to see who I want to yeah. go with. Yeah. No um, man. Um, can I do like a two parter? Yeah. Would that, would that be okay? Um, I think I'm going to start with, uh, a linebacker. I'm going to go with Braden Platt. Um, he did it he, to me again. He took my guy. I'm, I'm glad that I did too. I'm glad that I did too. I mean, the, the athleticism and agility and size with Platt are just some of the things that stick out to me. I mean, this, this guy played running back as well. Isn't the only Oregon linebacker commit that has some running back experience. Kamar Matuti did that as well, more so in his junior season before he transferred to Los Alamitos. But um, I think that the athleticism and just overall upside with Platt is, is amazing. Um, I think that that's probably a little bit more of the expected answer. So um, mm-hmm. I wanted to talk a little bit more about is Davian Sims out of uh, Oklahoma. Yeah. Um, he's a defensive lineman, 6'3", 275. Um, it is actually on the younger side for his class from, from mm-hmm. what I've learned. Um, so I think that he maybe isn't someone that's going to contribute right away. But at the same time, I think he could maybe be a pleasant surprise for the Ducks and when you look at what they signed at the position last year in 23, I was kind of surprised that they have gone as heavy as they have um, mm-hmm. numbers wise at the position. But I think he's one of those guys that maybe doesn't get enough recognition. I mean, he's an Adidas All-American, so I guess people have kind of woken up to him nationally. But um, I don't think he maybe gets the the praise that he deserves uh, when you come to talk about that, that D-line class because you got your Elijah Rushing and your Aiden Breland. But I think those are kind of my two, and and I, I hate that I stole them from you because I wanted to have some some no, more creative totally discussion. Fine. There's there's a lot of people to go after, um, but like you said, it's it's kind of interesting to see how heavy they went on the defensive line this year because they went pretty heavy on the defensive line last year recruiting, and it's just they're in an interesting spot right now where they've got so many people graduating. I mean, Dorless, Taki Taimani, um, you know, so many people on that defensive line graduating that they kind of need a couple of portal additions this year on the defensive line. But it feels like once next year comes, you know, they're so deep at that position. They've got so many young blue chippers uh, that they probably won't need too many portal additions going forward at that spot. Um, it's a very, very easy, you know, cherry picking answer for me, but I'm just so excited to see Aiden Breland. Um, his tape is incredible. Seeing what Dan Lanning's done at the defensive line position with, you know, Jalen Carter, people like that. Like, um, you just, you, or yeah, Jordan Davis, Jalen Carter, right? I always get those two names <laughs> confused from Georgia. Sure. I'm just so intrigued by what he can do with these blue chip five-star defensive linemen. You know, we've seen such great things from him. Um, I know that you've covered um, Aiden Breen, Aiden Breen a lot down at Mater day. Um, just what have you seen from him and his recruitment? Yeah. Um, Aiden Breen was a fun recruitment to follow. Um, you know, I think when people read the interviews, it, it only tells part of the story because like when you see how the, the athlete or the recruit, 
uh, you know, interacts with you or you know, how they are on the other side of things. I think that tells some of the story. And it was always a little hard to kind of see where Aiden's head was at. I, I thought he was going to be going to Georgia, but then in kind of the leading hours, it looked like he was going to Oregon. Um, but he's he's flashed for sure. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really key word to to look at here because I think it's going to play a key part in in how he transitions to the next level. He is a phenomenal player, but I think that you want to see some more consistency in his game because you see some of the ways he takes over at the high school level, and then you're kind of wondering why isn't he doing this more often. Maybe every play is a little bit far-fetched and kind of hard to say, (laughs) but the the potential is clearly there. I think there's times where he just looks amazing, and then there are times where you're kind of curious why isn't he putting it together a bit more. Um, Mm -hmm. So I don't want to knock the kid by any means. That's just kind of my, my take on it. Um, but he's a really exciting talent for sure, uh, out of, uh, you know, my neck of the woods in Southern California, but we, we should maybe mention that the ducks could be adding some more talent in the trenches. You got Jericho Johnson, uh, 2024 mm-hmm. D lineman, uh, Northern California. That's going to be announcing on Thursday. I believe mm-hmm. I think the ducks are in a phenomenal spot there after an official visit earlier this month. And then you also have, uh, Derek Harmon from Michigan state who, uh, took a visit this past weekend and, I'm hearing some good stuff there about where the ducks might stand. And I'm also still hearing things that I heard this morning that, you know, Oregon is not, they have not given up on Walter Nolan either. So I know that there's been a lot of predictions for him to go to Ole Miss. You know, it's yes, they're probably the heavy favorite to land him right now, but I know that Dan Lanning's not going to go out without a fight. So maybe that story isn't completely over yet. Um, still looking one last question on the Oregon 2024 class, who's someone that, you know, we're not really talking about right now that you think could in a couple of years, like, okay, that was one of the the best signings of that class. Um, I think I'm going to go with, uh, Roger Iapaga out of Utah. Um, he, he was a a really interesting recruit because he kind of has that wide receiver tight end hybrid kind of deal going on. Um, and I think with him, the, the state of Utah is going to continue to play a big part in in what Dan Lanning's building at Oregon. I think Utah and Missouri are two big, big States that Oregon's going to continue to ramp up their recruiting efforts. And, um, when you, when you watch that guy play, it, it just feels like a mismatch for, for a lot of these opposing defenses, not necessarily from the route running perspective. I think that's something that's going to have to develop and is really important for tight ends because sometimes they're just lumbering around as big guys, but what he can do with the ball in his hand after the catch is, is really, really special. And I think given that Oregon is still working to kind of try to add some pass catchers and playmakers in this class, you know, depending on what happens, I think he could end up being one of the one of the biggest, uh, you know, gems in this class. Yeah, I think he's got. I haven't seen him too much just because he's, you know, one of the the more recent commits. But he definitely does have a lot of upside. And like you said, he's kind of fits that bigger wide receiver mold, that wide receiver tight end mold. So um, I'm I'm excited to see what they're able to do with him. I want to close with this. It's a more wider scope question about recruiting. You deal in this business. You see how different teams operate and what they do well, what they don't. What is it that Oregon does well? What is it about Dan Lanning and Will Stein and Tosh Lapoy that you've seen over the past couple of years that separated them a little bit from other schools when it comes to recruiting some of these top prospects? Um, can you quantify that at all? Is there, are there things that you've seen that other schools don't on the trail that's kind of made them successful? Man, that is an awesome question. Definitely a good one to end it on. I think um, it's, it's really hard to quantify and, um, you know, I'm kicking myself a little bit because I want to learn more about what other schools do. 
but it's mm-hmm. so easy to just get laser focused in on what Oregon yeah. does. Um, so I'm going to have to keep that one in the back of my head. But I think one thing, um, you know, a couple things kind of come to mind as far as just the relentless effort. I think <laughs> as as uh, as intriguing as it is to see what, you know, how does a guy, how does a staff get a guy to commit or, you know, how do they separate themselves? Sometimes at the end of the day, Zach, it is just outworking other people, you know, being able mm-hmm. to go that extra mile, uh, meeting the guy at the airport when he's fresh off the plane um, or just kind of doing these small things. I know I had Dakota Fields tell me uh, he's a 2024 Oregon commit um, that they just had some kind of like great detail or they were just showing the, the extra effort learning more about him every time he came to Eugene. I just think that they're looking for any small victory that they can um, in any sort of way. Um, I'm trying to think of, of other examples that that maybe come to mind. Um, I think they, yeah, this, the, the, the effort is super huge. The attention to detail is really, really big. Um, and, you know, just I'm sure you've heard it, but just like talking to people around the program, just the level of, of locked in, that everybody mm-hmm. is in terms of just going for that common goal. And I feel like even though the season didn't end how they wanted to, like I was saying, like they're just, they're so locked in on recruiting and, and having those guys that are recruiters and developers, having that, that balance is, is ultimately I think what makes you uh, special because mm-hmm. you can recruit all that. Like that's the thing that maybe is a good thing to end it on. Like you can recruit all the guys you want, but let's be real here. It doesn't mean anything if you can't develop them. And it doesn't mm-hmm. mean anything if they don't see the field, because mm-hmm. we've seen plenty of former five stars that, that, you know, hit the portal and don't do a whole lot. So it's, it's a day to celebrate for sure, but it's really, you know, the job's only a quarter or halfway done. I mean, look at Texas A&M's what 2021 class, but 2022, forget, forget which one it was, but the highest yeah. rated class ever. And I think that about none of those five stars are left in the building right now. So yeah, you can get the players, but you got to develop them and you got to coach them and go win the games. All right, Max, we're going to end it there. You guys can follow him at M Torres sports at ducks digest. Uh, both of those on Twitter. You can listen to him or watch him on YouTube. Max, thank you so much for coming on. Um, I know it's a busy time, but I really appreciate it. Absolutely. You guys, Zach, thanks for having me. All right, that's going to do it for us today. Thank you again to Max Torres for coming on, talking to us about the transfer portal and the recruiting class and um, signing day that kicks off on Wednesday. I think this is probably going to be my only episode this week. I'll come back on next week to start preparing for the bowl game and do a little bit of a preview of Liberty. There's a chance that I come on later this week, maybe an episode on Thursday, if some real fireworks go off in Oregon's recruiting class. Um, I know that's, that's something that's very possible when you've got Dan Lanning running the ship. We've seen him do that in the years years past but um you know i think i'll i'll probably wait until next week unless there's something that absolutely is must talk about on thursday um but yeah we'll, we'll plan on coming back probably next tuesday or next wednesday and and focus on the fiesta bowl and um kind of get ready for liberty thank you guys for listening and follow along if you want to check out more of my work you can find it all at duckswire.usatoday.com follow me at zachary c neal on twitter we'll talk to you guys next week until then take it easy